Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. At the end of the message, we'll, we'll kind of culminate by uh, observing the Lord's Supper, partaking in, at the Lord's table here. So if you did not, uh, on the way in, receive the communion elements, uh, maybe you could just raise your hand uh, and we'll have, I, I, we got Allie Long back there who looks like she just needs something to do. Uh, who else we get one more volunteer we got Daniel just always ready to serve just raise your hand there and uh, we'll get those to you so I want to know do you guys remember the game uh, guess who you guys remember this you got the tray of characters and you're trying to figure out what the other person uh, what their character is and you're like is your dude bald does he got a mustache does he wear glasses on all these things and by process of elimination okay so I got a little game of guess who for you guys see if you can figure out who I'm talking about I'm going to give you some clues here all right first clue is this this guy he cared about what people think of him any guesses yet? Don't shout it out if you, if you know it already. Uh, all right, uh, I wanna, you don't ruin the surprise for everyone else. Here's a second clue. This guy desired power and influence. We're getting closer. We, we got it figured out yet. All right, uh, how, how about this clue? When he got a position with a little bit of power and influence, he didn't want to lose it. Any clues yet? Are we getting warmer? How about, how about this? He felt pressure to do what was easy rather than what was right. And, and this guy eventually succumbed to that pressure as well. Do you get any ideas yet? So he cared about, now that's not very specific, is it? Like the truth is that could be just about anyone, right? I mean, that could, that could be Brandon Hillstead we're talking about. And you know, could that be you? I mean, just really caring about what people think, having a little desire to just maybe have a little more influence or power or status or prominence. Uh, you, you, if you get a position, you don't want to lose it. And you, you feel that pressure between I know what is right and I, but I also know what is more easy. All right, well, up until now, that could be any of us. Let, let me be a little more specific. Here's some more clues. See if you can figure this out. He was, this, this guy was written about by first century historian Flavius Josephus. He was also written about by first century writer Philo of Alexandria. He was written about by gospel writers Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Apostle Paul. Any guesses so far? All right, uh, this guy served as the fifth governor of the Roman province of Judea, which meant he would be the head of the military police force, the judicial system. He was in charge of collecting tributes and taxes, the minting of coins, so on and so forth. Any ideas yet who this might be? All right, here's the, here's the last clue. This might give it away. He gave the green light to the crucifixion of Jesus. If you haven't figured out who I'm talking about yet, our guy is Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect. Now, uh, as we continue this series, famous falls, and we're learning to rise from failure, we're going to look at Pilate's failure here. His famous fall came sort of in this way. In one hand, he had his conscience, 
Uh, and uh, on the other hand, he, he had the crowd. And he was torn between the two. On one hand, he, he had examined Christ and he was convinced of, of his innocence. He knew Jesus was innocent and he wanted to do the right thing. Uh, but on the other hand, he had a prominent position of influence and he didn't want to lose it. On one hand, he felt his conscience siding with Christ. And on the other hand, he felt mounting pressure to, uh, of a society who just wanted Christ to go away. And in a way, we will all face a very similar tension. We'll live in that tension in many ways throughout our lives. In fact, I believe all of us are faced with a pilot-like predicament. And this morning, I just want us to get a little familiar with Pilot so we can learn from his failure. I'm going to read out of Luke 23, verses 13 through 25. And then we're going to explore the story of Pilate a little bit more. And my goal here is that this service will help you turn down the noise that is competing uh, for your attention, competing, competing for your devotion to Christ. It'll help you just tune that out and help you listen to and follow the truth about Christ that is bearing upon your conscience and mine. Here's this passage, Luke 23, starting at 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have, no basis, have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. So would you pray with me now? Lord God, we read in your word now about this man, Pilate, about his tragic failure. A man who saw you, Jesus, face to face and knew your innocence, was convicted in his conscience of your innocence. 
and yet caved to the pressure of a society who wanted you dead. Jesus, we don't want to miss you. We want to know who you really are. We want to know the truth about you, and we don't want to ignore that. Lord, now would you work to help all of us identify whatever crowd is shouting against you into our ears and conscience, and would you help us to tune them out and hear from your word and from your spirit the truth about Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So leading up to this passage, Jesus had gained enormous popularity as a rabbi, as a teacher. He had huge crowds showing up early in the morning, coming to the temple in Jerusalem just to hear him teach. And here's the deal. He had not minced words when it came to denouncing the religious leaders and their, and their hypocrisy. So as he gains popularity and he vocalizes criticism for them, they start to see their people and their power slip through their fingers. Luke writes in chapter 22, verse 2, he says, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, right, that's the religious leaders, were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. Other translations render that seeking a way to put him to death. Right? They need a good plan. Why? For they were afraid of the people. That's why they need a good plan. See, they, they couldn't just kill off the popular guy. Right? Because then what would happen is the crowds would, they're losing the crowds because of this guy. So they got to get rid of him. But they can't just kill him off. Why? Because the crowds would turn against them. So they, they, need a, they need a plan and they need to do it in a way that turns the crowd against Jesus instead of against them. And so they need an insider's help to pull this off. And so along comes Judas. And he confers with them and they come up with a plan to get rid of Jesus. And after the Passover meal and after instituting what we now call the Lord's Supper, uh, in which we'll be partaking at the end of this message, Jesus goes with his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane and he falls on his face and he prays to God the Father, is there any way there could be a different plan? But he eventually gets to the point where he says, nevertheless, your way, not my way. Your will be thine, not mine. So, so then Judas enters the garden. And he's got this band of religious leaders and thugs. And he, and he betrays Jesus with a kiss on the cheek. And that's the signal that that's him. That's the guy. And they pounce. And Jesus is uh, arrested and led off like a led away like a criminal and all the disciples scatter and peter betrays jesus says i oh i never knew that guy and then the the men who are holding jesus in their custody they begin to mock him and they beat him eventually he is brought before a council made up of these religious leaders who conduct sort of a kangaroo court they, they need a solid, they need to drum up a solid charge against Jesus that'll get the whole crowd to turn against Jesus. 
So what are they going to do? Well, word has been getting out that he, he has been, at least people think he's the Messiah, right? He's, the, he's God's son who's going to come and save the world. And this guy has been claiming things. Like he's been saying, God is my father. He's been saying things like, I'm God's son. And so they, they, they ask him, well, maybe, this is, maybe we'll go down this road. And they ask him, uh, chapter 22, verse 70. He said, are you then the son of God? And Jesus replied, oh, you said it, not me. <laughs> sort of a passive way to affirm the statement. And they say, what more testimony do we need? We heard it from his own lips. This guy claims to be the son of God, thereby claiming to be equal with God. And so now they've got it. You get someone that comes along and says, I'm God, that's blasphemy. They've got him. If they charge him with blasphemy... That'll turn the crowd against him. He won't be so popular then, and now we can finally get rid of this nuisance. Now, because uh, they were a Roman-occupied territory, the Jews didn't have authority to execute capital punishment. So this kangaroo court has to bring Jesus before the Roman authorities to have him executed via their judicial system. And now comes... On the scene, our man, Pontius Pilate. He's the Roman prefect or the governor over that region. Now, here's the deal. The Roman government isn't going to give two hoots about uh, some charge of blasphemy, some religious dispute. So they've got to come up with some charges that will get the Romans' attention. So they... They, they're not, you know, because the Romans, they're not going to say, oh, wow, yeah, well, some Galilean rabbi is, is claiming to be the son of God. Yeah, throw that guy to the lions. Uh, they need, they need here's, here's what it is. The religious leaders need to find charges that will get the political leaders' attention. So they come up with these bogus allegations. Uh, chapter 23, verse 1 says, Then the whole assembly, that's the council, the kangaroo court, the religious leaders, they rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He's he's, uh, leading an uprise. He's, He's misleading people. He's subverting your authority and and the peace you have established and so on. And even worse, you guys are going to hate this one. We know how much you politicians like your taxes. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. You don't want that, do you? That's going to hurt your bottom line. And what's more, he claims to be a Messiah. And Romans, you know what that word means? That means a king. You don't want this guy running around saying he's a king. Do you? Are you really going to let this guy just run around telling everyone that he's the real king and they shouldn't, they, that Caesar's not the king, that he's the king and they shouldn't pay taxes anymore? So Pilate examines him. He interrogates him. He conducts his own investigation. And Pilate concludes that Jesus isn't guilty of any of these charges. Pilate sees right through their, their, their little show He says, I find no guilt in this man, no basis for a charge against him. 
But the religious leaders, man, they double down. They don't give up. Uh, Verse 5 of chapter 23 says, they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee. Now he's come all the way here to Jerusalem. Like this guy, he's causing problems all over the region. It's spreading like a wildfire. Aren't you guys going to do? This is going to get out of control if you don't do something quick, is essentially what they're saying. And now Pilate, he, he doesn't really want to deal with it. He's going, this is too early. and I just want to have my coffee in peace. You guys are coming at me with this stuff. So he finds out that Jesus is actually from Galilee. And he says, oh, Galilee's not actually in my jurisdiction. Uh, that's Herod's department. Now, this isn't Herod the Great. This is uh, different. There's, there are several uh, leaders named Herod, one of his descendants. He says, that's Herod's department. And Herod just so happens to be in Jerusalem for the Passover as well. Send him over to Herod. So Jesus then is drug over and brought before Herod who's excited to finally meet this big-time miracle worker he's been hearing so much about, and he, he's heard so much about him, he wants to see for himself. And maybe, he'll, maybe Jesus will do some tricks for him. Maybe Jesus will do something cool. Uh, I don't know, maybe Herod was like, hey, how about, how about I, got, I got some water here, you know? Uh, I don't know. Jesus stays kind of quiet, though, and he, he doesn't play Herod's game. And eventually, Herod just gets annoyed. And he... And he has Jesus mocked. They array him with kingly attire, mockingly. And they send, like, oh, this guy claims to be a king. We'll put some king clothes on him. And they send him back to Pilate, essentially saying, yeah, this guy's annoying, but he's not guilty. This guy is annoying me, but he's not guilty of any of these charges. And this is where we arrive at our passage for the morning with Jesus back on Pilate's doorstep for round two, with Pilate once again having to settle this dispute. And I tell you guys, there is so much in this passage and there is so much in, in Pilate's narrative between all four Gospels. Uh, but I want you to see three key things here. The first one is after examining Jesus thoroughly, Pilate knew he was innocent. After examining him thoroughly, he knew Jesus was innocent. Verse 13, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, and said to them, you brought me this man who was, as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, like I was there. You heard how bogus these charges were? You, you heard how none of this lines up? You saw the trial take place? You saw the examination and the counter, the cross-examination. Found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod. This is not just me. I got another guy, I got a peer who did the same thing. And he sent them back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. So here's Pilate. The only man in the region at the time with the authority to push the crucifixion button. And he has thoroughly interrogated Jesus. And do you hear any lack of confidence in his verdict? Do you hear any shadow of a doubt? Does, does Pilate think, well, I don't know, maybe this guy's guilty? No. He knows that he knows that Jesus is innocent. 
The more you examine Jesus, if you genuinely desire the truth, the more your conscience will confirm that the testimony of Jesus is indeed true. And Pilate knew it. Pilate was discovering this. And so he says, verse 16, so here's what I'm going to do, guys. I'll rough him up a little. I'll punish him some. Right, I'll placate the crowd. I don't want you guys viewing me as I'm weak, you know. Let me have my, my ruffians smack him around a bit. But then I'm going to release him. Because he does not deserve the cross. Jesus is innocent. Second thing I want you to see is that the crowd didn't produce any valid evidence. They just shouted louder. Verse 18, when they hear this, the whole crowd shouted. Right? So they're not getting more accurate, they're just getting louder. They're not producing anything to help their case except the volume of their voices. Lies that are loud are still lies. They say, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. And then uh, Luke explains who Barabbas is. He says, Barabbas. You know, this guy was thrown into prison for insurrection in the city and, and for murder. Right, so this crowd, no evidence, just, just noise. And what do they actually want? They want Jesus dead and Barabbas alive. Jesus, who is being falsely accused of insurrection. Barabbas, who is actually guilty of insurrection. Barabbas, a murderer who has taken life. Jesus, who is giving his life that others may have life. Barabbas, interestingly, the name Bar-Abbas means son of the Father. Uh, Jesus, who is the true son of the Father. And they don't see the tragic irony in all of this. Pilate knows that they're ridiculous, but they don't see it. Pilate wants to really, he, he says, verse 20, uh, uh, Pilate appealed, it to, appealed to them again. He's saying, you guys, this guy's innocent. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And for the third time he spoke to them, do you see the way Pilate through this narrative, or sorry, Luke through this narrative is laboring to establish Christ's perfect innocence? For the third time, Pilate says to him, what crime has he committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty, no grounds for the cross. Therefore, like I said, I'll slap him on the wrist for you guys, but then I'm going to release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. Now, what's going to win? Is it uh, Pilate's Christ uh, testifying conscience? Or is it the shouts of the crowd? Luke writes, their shouts prevailed. No credible evidence. The crowd was just loud. And their shouts won that day. Third thing I want you to see is that Pilate chose the crowd over Christ and his conscience. Process that. He had a decision to make. 
Is it a fork in the road? And he chose the crowd rather than Christ and his conscience. Verse 24. This is one of the most tragic verses in the book of Luke. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. That's it. Having just stood face to face with Jesus. Having looked the incarnate Son of God in the eyeballs, having known in the deep parts of his soul that this guy is innocent. He goes against what he knows is right. He chooses injustice for the sake of expediency rather than justice, though it may be hard. Verse 25, and he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Okay, I'll give you guys what you want, which was crucify him. Crucify him. So what's this got to do with us? Uh, we're going to move toward taking communion now. Daniel, would you, would you come up? Here's, here's what this has to do with us in one regard and what, what I want us to feel and experience today. Every person in this room, all of us, will feel the pressures of a pilot-like predicament. God will give us all ample time to examine Christ. There's no one in here who will be able to stand before God and say, I just didn't know about Jesus. <laughs> He'll say, well, on July 9th, I had this redneck named Brandon tell you about him. <laughs> that was your chance. Through his word, through his people, God will give us all ample time to examine Christ. And here's the deal. We will all have uh, power and influence, a certain degree of position, and all of that will be on the line at times. The crowd will shout, and they will be loud and increasingly loud, and, and we will all feel the pressure to succumb. We will all feel the, the pressure at that fork in the road. Is What am I going to choose? Am I going to choose what my conscience knows is Christ and is true, or am I going to go the way of the crowd? If your desire is honestly for the truth, God will allow the truth about Christ to be whispered into the deep recesses of your soul. But you have to kind of tune out the other noise and you have to listen to that truth that he breathes into you. What would it have looked like for Pilate to succeed in this moment? Like he got it wrong, he failed. What would success look like in this moment? Well, I'll tell you, success for Pilate would have cost him everything. It would have cost him everything. At very least, success would have been standing his ground for Christ. Imagine if Pilate would have stood his ground and said, you guys, I don't care if you put me on a cross next to him. I've examined him, I know the truth, 
and I'd rather die than participate in this godless injustice. Imagine even better if Pilate were to have taken off his crown and laid it at the feet of Jesus and said, I've been a ruler up until now, but now you're my ruler. Imagine if Pilate had pledged his allegiance to Christ. Imagine if Pilate had said, I don't care if they put me on a cross next to you, Jesus. I'll follow you, even if I only live for a few more hours. See, for Pilate to have followed Christ, it would have cost him everything, but it would have been worth it. And for you to follow Christ, it could cost you everything, but it'll be worth it. So my challenge for us today, church, before we take communion, I ask you, if, you're, if you'll go along with this, will you bow your head now and close your eyes, tune out the shouts of the crowd. And my challenge to you is to ask God what pilot-like tension am I facing right now? In what way am I choosing the crowd rather than Christ? I give you a moment to reflect and ask God that question. And then I'll lead us in taking the Lord's Supper. Imagine you're at a fork in the road and down one direction is choosing the crowd and down the other direction is choosing Christ. And maybe this is the first time you've been at that fork in the road or maybe you've been following Christ for 50 years. But imagine it yourself at that fork again. What does it look like for you to choose to follow Christ today? From Pilate's doorstep, released, turned over to the will of the people, Jesus would be led up a mount. He would be beaten and flogged and mocked and spat on and degraded and paraded through a city, 
bleeding, thirsty, broken, exhausted. He would be nailed to a cross. He would bear the wrath of God for the sins of humanity. He would bear the wrath of God for the sins of Brandon Hillstead. For your sins. And he would give up his life. And so I remind you now of the words he spoke that night he was betrayed. When he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take now and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup before praying, Lord, would you let this cup pass from me? He took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for a new covenant, a new arrangement for humans to be made right with God a new chance at a relationship between God and human beings. Take now and drink. And do this in remembrance of Jesus. There's a lot that went in to you ending up on the cross. You were betrayed and denied and falsely tried and, and uh, there were so many forces at work. But we know that above all of those things, it was the sovereignty of God according to his will, working through his providence that the Father would send you, and Jesus, you said, no one takes my life from me. I choose to lay it down. We praise you, Lord, for taking the cross and for everything that you accomplished in dying on that cross on Calvary. And we live now with hope that though you were dead and buried in the tomb, that you rose again. We indeed will rise, and we praise you for that. Lord, we don't want to be a church full of pilots. We want to be a church full of sons and daughters adopted into your family. At the crossroad now, as we have chosen Christ and not the crowd, would you help us to live out that commitment this week? In Jesus' name, amen. May God richly bless you, my church. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.